Hey everyone, this is Cameron, pastor at Door of Hope Northeast, and I'm just really excited to quickly remind you that we are going to have multiple people from our community uh, sharing as part of this John devotional series. And so uh, today we have our first guest speaker. This is a guy named Josh Wilder, who will introduce himself a little bit, but he's been around Southeast since the very beginning. He's been a community group leader, and he is an elder candidate for us, and we're honored to have him. So I'll turn it over. Thanks. Well, hello, everyone. As you can tell from the sound of my voice, this is not Cameron Hager. My name actually is Joshua Wilder, and I am one of your elder candidates for Door of Hope Northeast. Um, this was supposed to be announced actually um, the week that we had to stop meeting, but um, that's not what this podcast is about. Cameron actually just asked me to share a little bit from the Gospel of John. This week we have been reading chapters 5 through 8, and these four chapters are just so packed with so many good things, it's really difficult for someone like me to just pick one passage and draw some things out. But that's what I'm going to attempt to do. And the specific passage that I want to draw attention to is chapter 6 which is known as the Bread of Life Discourse, and it begins with Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. And John has a way of telling his stories about Jesus that is not entirely unique to the other gospel writers, but it is uh, there, there's a pattern that you can see in the way he tells stories, and very often the pattern goes something like this. What John will do is he will present Jesus doing something where his divinity is is revealed for a moment or for a little bit longer than a moment, but it's just a just a peak. And then John will then turn his attention to the people who witnessed this miracle and show you how they responded. And part of John's purpose in doing this sort of thing is for us as readers to put ourselves in the position of the observers of Jesus doing what he's doing and asking us the very questions that Jesus then asks of those who observe him, letting ourselves be challenged by the challenges that he presents. And so this story here is no uh, exception to that, that way of presenting the stories of Jesus. And I would just want to walk through, I'm not going to do the entire chapter, I don't have time to do that, but I just want to walk through some of it and give um, and, and point out some things and hopefully bring out some nuggets of encouragement and of challenge and just hopefully let the Lord do his work in each of our hearts. So I'll begin with chapter 6. In my version it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I'm going to go ahead and take a pause there and uh, point out some things to observe. First of all, notice that John mentions that it is the time of the Passover. Now, the Passover was a time when the Jews were to remember what God had done for them when they were slaves in Egypt. God was providing a way for his people to make a way out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage and the house of slavery, it says over and over again. And the way that God did that was they had to slaughter a lamb, put blood on the doorposts, and as the angel of death came to their house, their home would be passed by and their children would be spared and they would be rescued. So what John is doing is he is signaling to the audience that they need to think about this event in terms of the Passover. Next point, notice that it's Jesus himself who initiates here. It wasn't Philip or Andrew or Peter who comes to the Lord and says, hey, we're hungry, we need some food. Rather, it's Jesus himself who sees the need and who himself takes the initiative and tries to get his disciples to come alongside of him in providing for the needs of the people. The next observation is that he provides more than enough for everyone. Twelve baskets full. And that's after everyone is satisfied. So Jesus is revealing to us here a God who has more than enough, who abundantly gives, who, who overflows with generosity. But notice then what happens in the story. The camera then pans from Jesus and his multiplying the fish to the crowds, and they say, this is the prophet who's coming to the world. Yeah! There's all kinds of enthusiasm there. And the camera pans back towards Jesus, and you see a cloud of dust, and maybe a speck on the horizon, and there's Jesus taking off. At least that's how I would do it if I was a director. But you see that Jesus' response to them is he takes off, he leaves. He doesn't say, yep, you're right, I'm it, I'm the guy. No, he's gone. And in fact, he stays gone. His disciples end up going down to the boat to the sea by themselves because Jesus is nowhere to be found. The next time he shows up, actually, is when he's walking on the water to the boat. You see, Jesus is not going to be had by the people. Neither they nor we get to have Jesus on our own terms. He is, in the words of C.S. Lewis, not a tame lion. He goes where he wishes. And in his best judgment, what the people need 
is not to have a celebrity right in front of them who can give them food whenever they want it. As we'll see further down in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side, oh, so just so you know, in the verses in between, the disciples had got, gone onto the sea. Jesus went out walking on the, on the water. They were scared. He gets into the boat. They calm down. They reach the other side. And then the people the next day go, hey, where's Jesus? And they go running around to the other side of the lake. Some of them go in boats to try and find Jesus, and they catch up to him. So in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now that is quite a, a mouthful all coming at once, but if we back up and and see what's going on, we'll see that the people come to Jesus and they ask him a question, and he does not answer their question. Why doesn't Jesus answer their question? Well, if we look at the text at what he does say, it's actually because in his mind they aren't asking the right question. You see in verse 26, Jesus says, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus sees that their question is not genuine. He sees that their motivation in coming to him is more for spectacle than it is to actually learn something. So he turns their attention to something a bit more worthy. And he says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. They're concerned about food, about the appetite of their bellies. And he is concerned about a different appetite altogether. He says, don't work for something that's fleeting, that's going to perish, that's going to go away. Instead, focus your energy on something that's going to endure forever. And so rightly, they then follow him and say, okay, so 
tell us the work to do. And the irony is that the work that he tells them to do is to just simply believe, which seems odd because how can that be a kind of work? Well, you have to go further. They respond by asking for him to give them a sign, and their example of a sign that they want him to give is for him to give them more food, just like Moses did for the people of Israel. So they themselves are putting themselves in the place of the Israelites in the story of the Exodus narrative. So if you go back there, remember before that John had said that it was the time of the Passover. The Jews of Jesus' time were comparing themselves with the Israelites in the wilderness with God. And he had told them that the, the work that they should be doing that will give them food that will satisfy this appetite, this deep appetite of their soul, is to believe in the one whom God has sent, namely himself. Now, why is there such a big emphasis on belief? If you go to Psalm 78, you will find a recounting of this very story that is interpreted for us. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I don't have time. But there are a few key places where this word believe shows up. One is in verse 21, where it's gone through saying how much the Israelites complained and how finally the Lord had had enough. It says in, in verse 21, Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. And again, it talks about the Israelites rebelling, complaining, God providing, providing, providing. And it says in verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned. And despite his wonders, they did not believe. So even the interpretation of these events later on by the psalmist is that their problem, the Israelites' problem, is that they did not believe. And Jesus is identifying that exact same problem. They did not believe. So what do I mean and what does Jesus mean when he says to believe? Is it just to have a sort of mental assent to things? No. Belief in the Bible has more to do with trust. It's more than just mentally adhering to some kind of proposition. It's Rather, it's putting your weight down on the person to whom that verb believe is referring. It's trusting, putting your whole weight down, putting your whole life into it as though it were true. It's like sitting on a chair. Do you cautiously scoot down or do you just plop in? What you do in those circumstances shows how much you believe in that chair's ability to hold you. So it is not in the abstract. Belief is never in the Old Testament a sort of thing you do in the abstract. It's trust. It's a thing that you do, you actually live out. For us, it means to trust him, to take care of our needs in difficult times. Just like now, this is a very difficult time. And we may not realize that we've had to trust him for everything that we've needed up to this point. Maybe right now, the illusion of our own control and our own ability to provide for ourselves, maybe that illusion is being shattered and we're, for the first time, really starting to see how much we've had to rely on him for our lives to work the way that they have. And some of us, perhaps for the first time or perhaps for the hundredth time, are realizing that we don't believe or we don't really trust God like we know we should or like we know that we want to. 
but we want to trust him more. Now, the reason why we don't really trust God is honestly probably because we have the wrong appetite, like Jesus is saying. Our appetite, we've been paying attention to a legitimate appetite, maybe, that isn't the deepest appetite. We want other things. We want stuff. We want pleasure, security. We want acceptance. We want uh, control. We want to be loved. And none of those things are wrong, and it's not wrong to want those things. All of them are good in their proper order, but it is wrong to crave those things more than Jesus. It's wrong to put down the appetite for the Lord in order to satisfy the appetite for all of these other things. When, when that's the case, when our appetite is for things other than Jesus, and I would venture to guess that for most of us, most of the time, that's the case, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and like, the Israelites and like the Jews in front of Jesus here, we complain to God that he doesn't give us enough, no matter how much he gives us. So what's the answer to this? I would say just look at how much he gives. Remember the, the bread and the fish. There were 12 baskets left over. God does what is in his nature to do, and that is to give and give and give and give. Jesus came, the purpose he came for was to give, to give his life to the Father, and to give his life for the sake of his bride, for his children, for his brethren. He didn't give the bare minimum. He didn't give just a tiny bit more than the bare minimum. He gave it all. He's overflowing with generosity and happiness. He's glad to give to us. It is actually our blindness that keeps us from seeing just how much he gives. It's our own blindness, just like the point of this story of, do you see what's right in front of you? What's right in front of you is God himself performing a miracle, and you're craving for food. There's something much bigger going on here. And in the midst of this difficult time, there's something going on right in front of us, if we could just see it. We need to have an appetite for it. We need to crave it. The Lord is knocking. The Lord is beckoning us to come. Are you able to see just how much he's been doing for you day in and day out, year after year? It is not too late. It's not too late for us to let him melt our hearts with his love. It's not too late for us to bring him our vulnerability and our fear and our anxiety and even our resentment. It's not too late to exchange all of these things for his joy and his generosity and his abundance. So I encourage you guys to let him whet your appetite for a pleasure and an acceptance and a security and a hope that's greater than any of these things you'll find in earthly goods. And let us come and taste and see that he is good. I hope you guys are encouraged. I hope that reading John encourages you. I hope that you guys are well and blessed. May God be with us and may his mighty hand that's at work right now be seen by us because he is doing a work right in front of us. So until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and may he give you his shalom. This is Josh Wilder again, one of your elder candidates. 
Meet the Lord wherever he may be found.